my freshman year as early in practice and, and I'm trying to impress him and I made some pass, you know, to one of the great players or something, but I didn't, but I, it didn't go well, you know? And so he blows the whistle and stops. He says, Hey, Jed, just make the first easy pass. You've got all this talent around you. Don't try to complicate things. Well, that phrase first easy pass applies to so many areas of our lives. Welcome back to one visit away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Did you know that, according to research, only about one-third of the prospects fundraisers like you get thrown on their caseloads are truly qualified? And even fewer are actually ready for your outreach. Think about that. If you're like most, two-thirds of the leads you've been getting are not really qualified to be on your list. Sure, they might have given in the past and their wealth screen ratings might be high, but if they won't accept your outreach, what good is all that research anyway, right? It's a serious problem, but there is a solution. And you can find it in Greg Warner's book titled Engagement Fundraising, which you can get right now at no cost whatsoever at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's right. You can learn how hundreds of organizations and thousands of fundraisers are succeeding in today's era of fundraising climate change by grabbing your free digital copy or audiobook version of Greg's very popular book today. Get it now. 100% free. Engagement fundraising at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to One Visit Away. This is Kevin here from the Dallas Snowpocalypse of 2021. This probably sounds different because I'm not using my podcast microphone. I recorded this episode last week and i am late in getting it up because of the horrible weather we've had here you've probably seen the news uh there are millions of people in texas who have been without power for days we lost power at our house for uh more than two days and it looks like it's finally back up now um but i have not been in front of my computer or microphone so this is getting to you delayed. The audio is not going to be as great on this intro and outro. And uh, yeah, sorry for the delay. I hope you enjoy this episode with Jed Doughton. Jed uh, really has a great episode for us this week. Um, came across him over LinkedIn and Jed came into development after more than 30 years in the financial services business. He joined UNC Charlotte as the Senior Director of Development in 2014. Tasked with building a major gift team, he helped the university close a successful $200 million capital campaign in 2020. Jed is a great guy, and as you'll hear, he's got some incredible stories, especially uh, a lot of lessons learned from his career uh, playing basketball in college. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Jed. I'm not doing all the normal stuff where I'm asking you to leave reviews and things because I don't even remember what I'm supposed to do at this point. Just uh, trying to survive through this uh, this crazy time. But I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Jed. Thanks for being here. I'm 
Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So if you could uh, give everybody a little bit of background about yourself, we'll, we'll give them the full the full story about your your uh, athletic career, but but just briefly your your professional career and what's led you to what you're doing today. Okay, well let me start where I am today. I'm at uh, UNC Charlotte, and the title I have is Senior Director of Major Gifts, which is really I lead a team of of major gift officers. Um, and we have uh, on that team right now about, not about five people. Um, and I've been there a little over six and a half years. Uh, how I got there is a little bit different. I kind of fell into it. I spent 30 years in the financial services business, uh, 15 years. Um, the first 15 years, I was an institutional bond trader. Uh, I won't go into all those details, but I basically sat in a training room all day long and just kind of hollered at things all, you know, on the phone wow. and, and did things, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Very, very energetic. Uh, yeah. So 15- I don't, I let me, uh, I typically, when I think of bonds, I think, uh, boring is what comes to my mind, but this sounds like it was a little more fast paced. Was that, uh, yeah, well, this, this was trading and you got to, uh, uh, you, you wouldn't know you had to go back in history books, look at it. But interest rates were not 1% when I started. They actually were 18 and 19%. Um, but the actual trading of bonds, regardless of where the interest rate is, uh, is very active. Uh, it is not boring at all. Uh, some days could be, you know, could be kind of quiet and you're, you're, you're sitting around a trading desk uh, trying to think of other things to talk about. But for the most part, it was very, uh, very energetic, a lot of movement, a lot of, um, a lot of excitement, uh, and, and we'll talk about sports in a minute. But it's a lot like sports. You kept score. You knew you knew every day how you did, and, and I loved it. And and then about uh, after about fifteen years, I decided to kind of step out that entrepreneurial spirit, and I started um, really an asset management practice where I wanted to work with high net worth individuals, and and not trade, but actually help them manage their assets and and help them have a take work with people who had already made money and then help them develop strategies. And, uh, and for the most part, keep them from doing the wrong thing at the wrong time because they had, they had already made their money. They didn't need to, uh, for most of them, they didn't need to make a bunch more. They just need to make sure that money lasted through the rest of their life. And so I did that for about 15 years and, um, ended up, um, with some different decisions that, uh, and the short answer, the short answer is I kind of sold my practice and, um, really we got, got into, um, uh, helping younger advisors, how to, how to build their practice. And, um, uh, the firm that I had joined to help do that got sold. And so I wasn't ready to retire and, uh, I was looking for something else to do. And I, I fell into, uh, the development world up at, uh, UNC Charlotte and, um, uh, I had given money to my alma mater, but I didn't really know what development was. Uh, and once they told me what it was, I kind of chuckled and said, well, I've been doing that my whole life. Talking about building relationships and, and uh, earning people's trust and confidence. And so um, I was asked to come in there and lead a team and in some ways kind of change the culture. Uh, they were headed into a, a capital campaign. So I was the guy who was kind of hired to to change some things, which doesn't make you the most popular person in the world. And, uh, <laughs> but so that's, that, that's, that's where I am. That's where, uh, you know, kind of how I got here. And like I said, I've been here about six and a half years and uh, there are a lot of stories. So um, I'm, um, I, I, I've enjoyed it. It's, it's uh, not every day is, 
as enjoyable as others. But for the most part, I love what we do. I love the people we work with. Um, and we can really make a difference in the world. I really enjoy that. Yeah, that's incredible. So uh, I, I'm curious when you were, so you're saying you'd given money to your alma mater. I'm curious before you took your, your job working in development, had anyone ever tried to schedule a visit with you where you were on the other side of the table as a, as a donor? Yeah, uh, actually, yes. And it, but it goes way back. Um, um, you know, given, given the history I just gave you being, you know, out of, out of college for 30 some years and then now almost 40 years, more than 40 years, I guess. Um, I actually had a development officer call on me probably within the first five years I was out of school. And um, I think I probably hit the radar. I was pretty fortunate, kind of fell into a a career that was fairly lucrative if you were good at it. Um, So I had a a call and uh, they came and saw me and, um, and, and and basically that kind of, not kind of, the way I remember it. I should frame. I should frame all my my stories. But this is the way I remember it. <laughs> Whether or not it happened that way, but the body going to be uh, on the podcast or around the podcast and say, "No, it didn't happen that way." But, uh, pretty much had a plan. Uh, they had a, they had a strategy to ask young alums to start giving back to the university, and they had a giving society. And what I remember is they asked me for ten thousand um, dollars to do that over to do a thousand dollars a year for 10 years. And so yeah. I committed to, I committed to that pretty early, but you know, what's really interesting. I don't think anyone ever called me back ever again. You know? Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and you don't, you don't have to, uh, we don't have to put this in the podcast or you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but mm-hmm. if they would have called you back, uh, would there have been the possibility for significant increases in giving over time? Yeah, there were certainly times in my life uh, uh, where there would have been possible to, to do more. But I will tell you, I ended up having three daughters, and uh, you know, and, and, uh, and so there are also times where they would have asked where, where I had three in college at the same same time, and then had three yeah. weddings all in the same decade. <laughs> they wouldn't have gotten that. Wouldn't have been a, a good time to ask me. So, uh, but pr- but yeah. probably so. But. Um, um, but you know, I don't. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I guess we'll never know <laughs> since they since they didn't. We'll never. We'll never really know. But well, and I I know I get calls now from the call center because you know you, yeah. everybody's got you know, caller ID, and I go, well, that's Chapel Hill calling, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I actually actually now that I'm thinking about it, this this past uh, you know the end of the year, um, young lady called me, and I actually took the call. And I enjoyed her conversation. She was so good. I gave them a yeah. little money, not not, not yeah. anything. It wasn't a significant gift, but I, because I knew what she was, she was a student caller. I knew what she was doing, um, and I was so impressed with the way she handled it um, that you know I said, you know, yeah, let's let, let's do that. And then yeah. uh, then she asked me for a little bit more. I thought it was, I, I, <laughs> you know, I was like, hey, I like that. You know, I like what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I said, you know, okay. That's awesome, man. So, so let's go back to you. You have an interesting background while you were in college, you played basketball and you wore a pretty important number. Could you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, it, it is an interesting story. Uh, I played basketball at the university of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. 
And though there's been a lot of uh, great players that have come out of there over the years, the most famous one is most people would know is, is Michael Jordan. I'm a little bit older than Michael. So, you know, as you, I'm an old guy. Um, <laughs> so, um, but my, my career, uh, though I, I was there for four years and, and played, I played a little bit. I was never a, a, a superstar at, at that level. Um, but I wore a number 23. And uh, I wore 23, of course, before he got there. We didn't, um, we didn't know who Michael Jordan was at that time. I, I graduated in the spring of 1979, and Michael came in as a freshman in the fall of, uh, I guess, uh, 81. So uh, we didn't overlap. Some of the guys that I played with did play with him. So. Yeah. You know, once uh, and then Michael, his freshman year, hit the winning shot in the national championship game, which which was the beginning of many great shots of, at, at a point of time. So, um, Michael really, really, really made that number famous, and um, it's it's helped me over the years uh, when when people say, "Hey, um, you wore twenty three before Jordan." People seem to think that's a really interesting story. I kind of <laughs> laugh and go, uh, "You know, he I just wore. I, I didn't even." <laughs> I, I, you know, I just picked. In fact, it wasn't even a number that I wanted when I when I went to Chapel Hill. Um, coach Dean Smith was the coach at, at the time, and when he asked me what number I wanted, uh, I said I wanted twenty two. And he said we well, can't have twenty two. Uh, he didn't say it this way, but what he what he what he really was saying was we already have a guy who's better than you who's chosen twenty two <laughs> in your class. And uh, so, what other number would you like? And I just went. How about 23? Is that available? He says, yeah. So uh, I wore 20. I'm the last guy to wear 23 before Michael Jordan. So technically, Kevin, my jersey is retired. It just doesn't have my name on the back of it. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. That is that is really cool. And uh, well, I'm I'm just curious. Maybe this has nothing to do with the podcast. But why did you why did you want 22? What's the significance there? Well, it was my high school number. And uh, and the other part of it is uh, when I was growing up as a young kid, I was a big North Carolina fan. And the star of the North Carolina basketball program at that time was a guy by the name of Larry Miller. Larry Miller wore number 44. And when I was in high school, our high school team didn't have a 44. So I said, well, I'll, how can I, I'll take 22. Maybe I'll be half as good as Larry Miller. <laughs> so, um, so that's how I was 22. And so I, I just, you know, you know, figured I'd try to wear it in, in, in college too. But luckily somebody else had already, uh, one of my teammates and one of my still good friends this day, I mean, Dudley Bradley, who ended up having a 10 year NBA career, he chose 22. So I got wow. to wear Michael's number before him. So just, just pure luck. (laughs) That's amazing. Now we're going to have a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. So when it comes to investing in my own business, I'm a bit of a cheapskate, but I've made one significant financial investment in my consulting business over the last two years. You've heard me mention it every episode since January 1st, my website, every speck of my one visit away branding, My website and everything you see visually from me was created by Jacob Laskowski with 86 Creative. Jacob made it so easy to hire him because he made it very clear to me from early on 
that he was there to serve me, to help me, and he helped me a number of times with branding and strategy, even before I paid him anything. So by the time I was ready to establish my brand and elevate the work I was doing, I knew Jacob was the person to hire. Jacob and his team at 86 do incredible work creating brands for nonprofits. And if you want to elevate your mission, I cannot recommend them enough. Your brand is the first thing prospective benefactors are going to interact with when they encounter your organization. So don't make it look like some high school kid from back in the 90s designed your website for you. When you present a professional, clear brand and message, you set yourself up to look like the type of organization someone would invest a million dollars into. Check out his website at elevateyourmission.com and see the work that has led people like me to trust him with building a strong brand. And now back to the episode. So, so yeah, tell us about your coach. And I think he has a, a you've got, you know, lessons that you've learned from, right. from him that have played out over your whole professional career. Right. So uh, there's probably a, most people listening on this are, are, are quite a bit younger than me and, and may not even know who coach Smith is. He, he retired um, in, I believe, 1997. And as we're recording this today, uh, yesterday was the, uh, I believe, the uh, fifth uh, uh, or sixth anniversary of his passing. Mm. So, uh, but when, when I played, um, when, uh, you know, we had very, very good teams, and which North Carolina teams have, for the most part of my whole life, have had really good teams. Mm. But Dean Smith, when he retired in 1997, um, he retired as the all-time winningest coach in NCAA history. Uh, that has been surpassed uh, at this point. You know, uh, in fact, it's Mike Shishetsky, who's the coach at Duke, who has the record now. But uh, when when Coach Smith retired, he had, uh, he had won two national championships during his career, and just had this unbelievable uh, program. Uh, I think uh, he coached for over thirty years and had a winning percentage, I think just, just south of 80%. So, I mean, you know, you coach for 30 years uh, and you win almost 80% of your games. Um, it was a much different time, uh, though a few players might leave early to go to the pros. Most players didn't. They stayed four years, and and, and, and the ones that were really good moved on to the pros. But uh, he had a very high uh, – Graduation rate. I, I think I think six, 97 percent of his players graduated, um, and 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 then he was also uh, uh, at the forefront of a lot of civil rights. Um, the first African American player uh, at at the university was recruited during his time, and uh, so he just had this. Uh, even when I was there, kind of in the middle of his career, he was already had this aura about him. I mean, he he was definitely in charge. Um, you saw, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know who came up with the word, but he was kind of used to face. He was a benevolent dictator, you know, <laughs> he kind of ran the program. Um, but as, as I, uh, after I graduated and I moved into the business world, I just began to notice that so many things that he did in a, as a basketball program carried over into the business world. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 I uh, haven't written a book about it, but I'm probably going to. But I've, I've written and I've given talks. And one of the phrases I use all the time in regards to him, uh, my freshman year, and it's early in practice, and, and I'm trying to impress him, and I made some pass, you know, to one of the 
great players or something. But I didn't, but I, it didn't go well, you know. And so he blows the whistle and stops. He says, "Hey, Jed, just make the first easy pass. You've got all this talent around you. Don't try to complicate things." Well, that phrase, first easy pass, applies to so many areas of our lives, and whether it's personal, our family, our business. We, we just tend to complicate things. And I will tell you, I, I try in a leadership role all the time to get people to understand that phrase and how it applies to, to the industry you know, th- that, that we're in. It's Execution's not always easy, but knowing what to do is really not that hard. Uh, so that that's what I've I've tried to do. I've, I've everything he was he 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 was he was a uh, a caring leader. I mean, he, he was demanding. And I use that benevolent dictator thing. He, practices were hard. I mean, they were physically and mentally challenging. But I will tell you that when you graduate and when you leave the program. He was uh, involved in your life as much as you wanted it to be uh, ongoing. All, I think I mentioned a minute ago, I have three daughters. Each one of those daughters, when they were born, got a letter from him, you know, that we've kept and put in, in, his, in, in their scrapbooks. My girls are all grown now and have their own children. Um, you know, uh, when my father uh, was, was, uh, was sick with cancer, um, Coach Smith took the time to write him a personal note uh, to, uh, to encourage him. And again, I emphasize, I was not a star player, you know? Yeah. So I was, you know, if Mike, in fact, I use sometimes if, if Michael Jordan's on one end, uh, I was at the other end. We were the bookends of Carolina basketball <laughs> players. He, he was the best and I was the worst. And Coach Smith was doing those type things, you know, for someone on, on that far end. So, yeah. Um, so, I, so, I think that kind of answers a question I had already, but maybe you have some more insight. So you mentioned that he, like he pushed you guys hard Um, and like great, great coaches do that. But um, sometimes people don't like to get pushed hard, especially, you know, I mean, if, if, if if you're there and you want to win a championship game, right. there's there's a certain level of I have, like I I expect this and I want right. this because I want that outcome. Right. But so, right. sometimes people who are in a who are working for some nonprofit or a university, they they just wanted to get their paycheck and kind of coast by and <laughs> and so so, right. so I guess my question is how do you how does a coach like him push people really hard, but uh, not not wind up having people resent them or just think like, man, right. he's just he's just too hard on us, uh, right. that kind of thing. Right. Well, you, you, you ask a great question and, and many regrets in my life. Uh, one of them is I never really sat down with him and had that type of conversation because he really, really was really good at this and um, mm-hmm. of pushing people uh, – but at the same time, you didn't have a bunch of kids transferring. Now he had he had he certainly over thirty some years he certainly had people transfer who weren't happy. But not everybody yeah. gets to play. It's yeah. not all equal, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but but I think it starts with Kevin on the front end um, called recruiting. And mm-hmm. in the business world, it, we may not call it recruiting; we call it hiring and understanding the profile 
of the people that you need on your team that will be can can help help you be successful. One of the things, and I, I really think this helped me, um, you can't have a team, a basketball team in particular. You can't have you can't have twelve all stars because yeah. you can only you can only play five. So you have to have people who are talented, but maybe not as talented as everybody else, but will who will accept their role and be a mm-hmm. part of that because. In such a small group, and this can also happen on the development team because it's used typically a small group. I mean, I mean, some universities might have fifty to hundred, but most are sitting there with a pretty small group, probably yeah. less than a basketball team. One one bad attitude can ruin the whole thing, and yeah. same thing happens in the locker room. So I, I think it started on the front end that they really had a profile of the type of people they were looking for, and and and. So they did their due diligence on the front end. I know that when I probably didn't know this when I visited, I had an official visit when I was in high school. But once I got to school there and recruits came on campus after they would leave after the weekend, Coach Smith would ask the current players, what do you think about Joe? What do you think about Steve? Do you think they would fit in here? And, you know, I'm not aware of, of when somebody was, you know, you know, maybe I didn't use the word blackballed, but there, there were times where somebody said, you know, I didn't, we didn't really like that guy, you know. Yeah. Now, it, it, I'm not being naive here. It, there's some, it could be some level of you don't like him, but he's that good. It doesn't matter what you think. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I don't, but I, but I don't think so. For the most part, there was so much talent mm. um, on, on the recruiting. I learned this phrase a long time. Actually, I didn't learn it from Coach Smith, but it applies to this. He who needs it least is in control. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're a basketball coach and you've got a you've got a pipeline of really good talent on your team, you, you can look at that recruit and say, well, you know, we'd love to have you, but you know, if you don't if you don't come, we're still going to be pretty good. Yeah. Well, in in the business world, I think in the development world, what, what I try to say to the people on our team is, if you have a, a robust pipeline. And Mr. Smith is putting you off. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But you know what? If, if you don't have a robust pipeline, you are freaking out because Mr. Smith won't meet with you because you had yep. him pegged for X to be done by Y. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and but but a robust pipeline gives you as much control as you possibly can have, which is not not always really that much. But you know. It's the most important thing you can have. So you can look, you actually can look at Mr. Smith and leave a voicemail and say, sorry, we can't get together, <laughs> you know, but yeah. uh, uh, we, the, the good news, and, and, and that's, that's tough for you and I, I'm just kind of making this up on the, on the fly here, but, but I want you to know the university is still going to be fine. We're going to, we're, yeah. we're going to be great. We've got plenty of other people that are looking at solving similar problems as you wish we could help you, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a little more time with Kevin, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is so. Uh, so I did an entire podcast episode on this this very thing. It's like when when you <laughs> when you've just got that one big thing that you're putting all your your right. focus on. Well, first right. off, that thing's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Just just right. statistically speaking, right. it's just right. not going to happen. But then also, it's um you know, it makes you put so much pressure on that and you need them. You need them to agree to the visit and you have to ask them for the gift. And, and it just, and people can, people can smell that. 
and it it taints uh yeah it's like the one <laughs> this one guy i know i think he wrote a book or maybe he was just telling me about it but his idea was don't trust a salesman whose kids have skinny legs and uh you know just this idea that like if you're in a desperate position um you you're not gonna you're not gonna treat people in in the best way and um yeah so i think that's tremendously important right no i i i agree and you know and and there are plenty of businesses and of course our industry is being more and more reliant on fewer donors it's the larger gifts and and we just saw we just saw it in you know our capital campaign too so i think as and other businesses have the same issue i mean you, you big gifts or big clients can mask a lot of problems and that's why I think as a leader of a team and then hopefully the leadership of, at the top is really looking at, you know, how robust are we? Because, again, you, you, you can you can hit numbers, but, you know, um, especially in the development world, someone could come in and say, yeah, I'm going to, you know, we uh, on playing gifts. Everybody kind of does it different. But I mean, somebody could walk in and say, yeah, I'm planning to leave you five million dollars when I die. Then we, you know, we throw a party. Well, you know, the guy's fifty years old. He's probably going to live, you know, if he lives his normal lifespan. It's another thirty-five years. That that five million dollars, number one, is not five million dollars by the time it gets there. And then number two, it's just their intentions. And, and as an institution, you never know. They could make, they could, they could, they could change, and, and you're not going to go try to collect it. You, you know, it's not something. So it's you, you, you can. Big numbers, big gifts can mask a lot of uh, issues. You really need to focus on. I, I believe in all as an industry, you need to focus on broadening our donor base. Yeah, for sure. So, can you? Uh, so, any stories of visits that you'd like to share, either uh, you know directly related to a lesson you learned from Dean or uh, or otherwise? Uh, I, I don't. I, I can, yeah, I think I, I think I can. Well, one of the things, one of the things that helps me, uh, kind of relates to, even though I work at UNC Charlotte now, UNC Chapel Hill is a totally different. But in the era that I grew up in, North Carolina basketball, um, you know, you didn't. Um, I hate this really dates me. ESPN had not started by the time I graduated. It started. It started like six months after. Okay, so. Um, but when I when I'm at UNC Charlotte, I still run into people. The people, a lot of people we want to talk to are in the same age group that I'm in. So I run in and I talk with people, and and you know, sometimes say, oh yeah, I remember you. You played at, at North Carolina, and uh, and in some cases because I grew up in North Carolina, it might have been somebody I went to high school with. And in this case, this is the story of uh, I'm, I'm, I hadn't been at the university very long, and. Uh, one of the guys uh, on the team came to me and said, much younger guy came to me and said, Hey, I've been, I've been trying to talk to this guy. Can you help me try to figure out? And I said, sure. Sit down. He tells me that tells me the guy's name. And I went, man, that's, that's a familiar name. I think I went to high school with a guy by that name and uh, looked it up. And I went, Oh my gosh. That, yeah. That that's, I went to high school with him. So fast forward several years, because he didn't immediately, you know, uh, agree to meet with uh, uh, the gentleman on our team. Um, 
he and I connected and he, he agreed to meet with me a couple years down the road. And I, I tell you, you know, one of the things I, I learned from, you know, Coach Smith, about, we talk about recruiting, but being respectful, being on time. Um, when, um, and I'm, I'm going to change this guy's name. I'm going to call him Bob. He wasn't Bob. But, uh, you know, when, when Bob and I met, I just, I just kind of, and I, maybe I don't know if I learned this from Coach Smith, but I learned a long time ago in, in kind of discovery work, just say, well, hey, Bob, how, how'd you get here? You know, how, how did you, you asked me in front of him, tell me a little bit. And he started telling me this story. And, and, and he's talking about his time at UNC Charlotte. Now, he has not been engaged. He graduated in 1979 from UNC Charlotte, same year I graduated from Chapel Hill. He hadn't been back. He hadn't been, no one had reached out to him. That's not true. He, he, I think someone had reached out to him. But for the most part, he'd been left alone. And so he started telling me the story about how important UNC Charlotte was to him how it was a university that let him, that he found his kind of, uh, uh, you know, legs, got, got kind of, it wasn't sea legs, but, you know, kind of found his bearings at UNC Charlotte. And he ended up leave, graduating, going to Chapel Hill and got an, uh, an MBA and then had a very successful business career. And th- that visit just reminded me again that just ask people, you know, just just open into question. How'd you get here? And then listen to what they're saying. And and again, he talked about. Uh, he added on that he had been on a board of trustees and where it, where his children, uh, two boys, had gone to school. Well, I know if you're on the board of trustees, this was a private institution. He's giving the money there. I you know, I don't think you're on the board of trustees. <laughs> you know, and uh, and so we just kind of continued to have a dialogue, and then within you know, about a year's time, you know, I didn't have to ask him. He said, hey, he said, this is going to seem crazy. But, you know, the NBA school at Chapel Hill a few years ago, we had a conversation about uh, a planned gift, and I've left the university, the NBA program, some money in my estate. Can I do that at Charlotte? And I said, yeah, (laughs) we can do that. And so he actually began his support with a planned gift, and has since then done a major cash gift um, wow. to to support students because he says I want to give back yeah to to a university and to a particular profile of student to help them because that place helped me so yeah that, that's that's a you know they're not all like that but boy and that was that was a great one you know? yeah that one's that one's interesting for several reasons one is just that. You know, he kind of went about it backwards from the conventional way. You know, it's very rare somebody starts with a planned gift and then and then goes to to cash giving. But but that's awesome. And then, you know, I just that the idea of questions is just what everything is is built upon. I mean, I think and, and I think that's the great opportunity for university fundraisers is is you get the opportunity to for so many people they can attribute much of their success to their experience at college and you know what they learned there the connections they made the coaches they had and 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 people love to when you ask them a question you know like how'd you wind up being so successful what role did the university play in that people love to talk about that kind of stuff well, I, we, 
as I've been at UNC Charlotte for six and a half years and, and watched us grow, um, I, I try to have these conversations. I've noticed the profile of uh, there. There is a profile uh, that works that that wants to give back, and there's three things. Yeah. Number one, they'll tell you that, that if you if you ask, they'll say, "Yeah, I had a great experience at UNC mm-hmm. Charlotte." Number two, I attribute some of my success to my time at UNC Charlotte. And the third thing they'll say to you, you know, yeah, I'm already kind of given elsewhere. You know, I've never, I've never heard from UNC Charlotte. So if you, if I tell people on our channel all the time, if you, if you get positive responses to those three areas, you, you've got a very good prospect. Now it's just a matter of aligning, uh, inspiring and aligning their passions because they're already giving elsewhere. They just didn't know that there were maybe issues at UNC Charlotte that they could, provide solutions to. So, um, yeah, it's, but on the other hand, if they tell you, you know, I, I, I went to UNC Charlotte, but I didn't really have a good experience and I hadn't heard from anybody. So I don't think, no, I, I don't, I don't attribute my <laughs> success yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to anything in college. And, and third, no, I don't give any money away. We need to move away. <laughs> and it's not, yeah. a bad, it's not, it doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just that we're not going to convince someone to I said that we're not we're not preachers. We're not trying to change hearts, you right. know. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. what yeah. we just we want to hear as development officers that they're in the habit of giving. And if they yeah. are, shame on us for a large public institution with thirty thousand students. We're a, we're a small city in itself. If if we can't find something on our campus that aligns mm-hmm. with their passions, with their desires, um, shame on us. <laughs> because yeah, exactly. I know there's something, but we need yeah. to focus outside in, not inside out. And I think too right. many, too many people want to go out and say, well, you know, Kevin, we, 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 we need this. And I'm not saying there's not a time to, mm-hmm. to try to solve issues on the inside, but if you'll just let the donor or the potential pros- prospective donor, just talk to you, figure out yeah. what they want to do and then come back and say, Let's figure out. Mr. Mr. Smith wants to. This is where his his he and his wife have a passion, and this is where their family has a passion. Figure out, find something on campus that aligns with that. Yeah, and and it's it, it's so true. And um, you know, I, I share this a lot of times with with some of my clients. Is that this idea that we need to understand the benefactor before we can really share anything about our organization. And and right. a lot of times I give the example of a financial advisor. You know, right. I, I and I think you would appreciate this. Um, but like when when you were working with with wealthy individuals, you didn't right. just show up and say, hey, sit down and listen to all these amazing products I can offer. No. You. you started out by asking them questions and understanding understanding, you know, like how, like how much money do you have? What do you? What are your hopes for it? What are your goals for the future? Like that's that's where it starts. Um, yeah. Oh, you, you you actually had to fight. Some sometimes the, the the client or prospective client would say, "Well, so what do you think? Where should I put my money?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I I, I don't know anything about <laughs> you, you know." Yeah. yeah. And so yes, it, 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 the, the similarities between the two businesses, the, the financial services business and development are so close. And, and for the most part, I'll tell you, 
it, it's almost it really it's almost identical. We just use different language. You know, uh, they're, they're donors on one end, you know, they're clients on the other. We call it uh, customer service on one end. We call it stewardship on another. You know, it, yes. it's it's the yeah. same. But, but the, the one common thing is a discovery call, you know, mm-hmm. or qualification. If, if, if I don't care what business you're in, if you're not doing a discovery call to understand, you know, again, in, in the donor, in the, in the, in the business world, you're going to say, I need to discover what their pain is. What's their pain? What's the issue they're trying to solve? Right. In the, in, in the development world, it's not so much a pain, but what is their passion? What is yeah. it they're interested? What is the problem they want to solve? You know, where's the impact they want to make? And that might be in, as if you're in a small nonprofit, you know, you're limited, uh, you know, to, to, to that potential, you know, here, here's, here's, here's the only problem we're solving yeah, at a yeah, university. Yeah, yeah. We're solving. I mean, we, we have, we have people on our campus, students on our campus that have to go to a food bank to get their meals. Mm-hmm. That, that shocks people when, when they yeah. hear that. But it's not just at UNC Charlotte. You know, food insecurity is a problem on many, many campuses. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's there. But there's a broad sense. But you, you're right. There's there, there's there's a lot of overlap between the financial services and the ones who are successful in both in both industries care about the donor. They care mm-hmm. about the client and, yes. and they craft solutions on what they want not a cookie cutter approach. Yeah. So, so this is, I'll, I'll say this last thing on this topic and then we can move on to another, another story. Cause we could talk about this all day, but I just, I, you know, I, I've had this sales versus major gifts discussion a few times. And, and one of the things I don't think I've mentioned yet, but I think is true is that I've never met a salesperson like anyone who's done major gifts successfully and has done sales successfully says they're basically the same thing. The only people I, I ever come across who are like, no, they're they're not alike at all are people who haven't done sales um, effectively. And so I just think that's an, an interesting observation because exactly what you're saying, customer service, like really good salespeople care a lot about their clients and they treat them very well and provide them with great value, just like major gift fundraisers do. Um, and, and, and the other thing I'd add too, if you're doing it right, your client's going to refer you to other yes. people. Yes. The, the phrase birds of a feather flock together. Same thing in the donor world. If mm-hmm. you're treating Mr. and Mrs. Smith right, you know what? They know other people that graduated from that, in my yes. case, in a, from a university, and they're going to share that positive experience. And so it's, yes, there's so many alignments. No, there are bad salespeople. There oh, are yeah. <laughs> bad development people. Okay, none of us should want to follow and emulate the people who don't care about the donor, who don't care right. about the the customer, and uh, uh, and and the people in the sales world will say, "Well, no, we all care about." No, no, no. There, there are people that don't, and you, you yep. know, the, the phrase, "Watch what people do, not mm-hmm. what they say." Yeah. That applies and. Every industry, but in particular, these two, it, it doesn't take you long. Um, what, what, you know, the other phrase I use all the time, too, is people will show you who they are. Believe them. OK, right. believe them. You're not. Um. <laughs> and, and, uh, 
That's good. We, we all struggle with that. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, uh, have you had any visits that just went horribly wrong, especially maybe when you were, uh, first getting started and new to the industry? <laughs> so one, I, I, being kind of not just in a senior leadership position, but being senior on the team age-wise, <laughs> we do have a lot of young folks on our team. And I, so I go on some calls with people. And so I got called in. Uh, one of our gift officers said, hey, I know we've kind of been talking to to these folks. And um, um, I think we kind of got to a level. I'm going to need some help. Can you come on the call? I said, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll come. So I, I go to the call. And this was really interesting. I, this is the only time I've seen this. The, the potential donor comes to the meeting with his financial advisor, which is mm. not that that they're going to, you know, uh, bring the financial advisor into the conversation is not unusual. But to come to the meeting was a little right. Right. I don't see that very often. And then second of all, the potential donor brought someone, a friend of his who was had, I believe, had I don't believe it's still in it, but had been in the development world, had worked at a nonprofit. <laughs> and so the three of them are sitting on the table at the table. And then it's myself and this you know young, young advisor. <laughs> and, you know, um, you're facing it, the inquisition here. <laughs> yes, it, it was a and, 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 and it's a very successful businessman. And I, I could I could very quickly picked up on this. He, um, he was um, looking to establish a scholarship in, in a very you know, sad situation in that uh, his, his son had, had passed away while he was in, in, in college. And, uh, but, but was uh, a wonderful man looking to do the right thing. Um, and I, I'm sure he was struggling with the whole process too, but, but, but yeah. as, as the conversation went on, and we talked to them about, you know, endowing a scholarship, um, which from a capacity standpoint wasn't going to be an issue. They, that, that was never a, 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 an issue. But then the question became, well, what else can we get for that? In other words, can, can, I, can we get a naming opportunity? And so one of the things that uh, the, the gift officer had, had done beforehand uh, was – we, I, I kind of actually hate this thing. We have this kind of menu of pricing of, you know, Hey, if you yeah. want to, if you yeah. want a room, it's this, if you want a door, it's that, you know, yeah. if you want a building, it's, it's this, you know, I, I don't, I don't like that at all. But um, she kind of shared that with them. And as they were looking it over, as they were talking to themselves, his, his, his kind of team there, I could tell they're thinking that, um, that this is all one thing, and, and you know, it's, it's it's two different things. The endowment is one level. If you want to name an uh, an office space, it's an additional. You know, it's not that you you get get everything for one. Yeah, and yeah. it just didn't go very well. Because because I think he was coming from the natural area he'd been in the business world. He was used to negotiating deals. Yeah. You know, yeah. So he's thinking. And the, the the poor financial guy, he's sitting there, and he's not really saying anything. And then the, the, yeah. the development guy's going, well, you know, Jed, you know you can do that if you want. I know you can do that. I said, well, no, I, I can't, you know. And he said, well, you know, my experience, you know, I'm going, 
Um, so it just wasn't going. It just it. The good news is it ended well. It took a little yeah. while to get there, but that mm-hmm. meeting in particular felt more like um, uh, the, one of the worst sales experiences you could possibly yeah. have, and it was not a very good donor experience because it, there wasn't a lot of trust. There wasn't. Yeah. There was. We, it didn't feel like in the beginning we were all working on the same page. The good news is we got there, and yeah. um, I think things have have gone very well. It just took a while yeah. to get there. Yeah, well, that's good. And I mean, that just sounds like a tough situation because, you know, typically I would say, um, you know, like my goal is to as much as possible get away from, hey, we're we are giving this gift, but we expect this in return. Like I, you know, I I try to stay away from that as much as possible. But I think in in this scenario, like it was clearly important to him. He's going through a horrible time, right. death of a right. son. Obviously you want that. Uh, obviously he wants to make a gift, but he also, yes. he yep. wants that, that memory to, to be mm-hmm. around and have it concrete yep. in some way. Right. So, so that's a, yeah, I, I mean, I think one thing that's important though, and I think you, uh, it sounds like did well in that scenario because it ended well is it's very easy to get defensive in those mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, so sometimes we just have to work with people where they right. are. And a- absolutely. Yeah. The, the, I will say this, the meeting when it ended, it didn't feel like it was ending. Well, it just, there yeah. was just, just kind of, now again, I think the development officer that was working that relationship did a fabulous job continuing to have those conversations, and um, but it, it uh, you know, and, and it and it and it might have been, you know, quite frankly, that there was uh, when I entered into the com, you know, when 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 I entered into the conversation, even though he was bringing his team, from my perspective, it would look like a business deal the way he was right. structured it, right. He, he certainly probably didn't feel that way until I showed up. And then, and, and I, you know, so I, I might've been the issue. And yeah. once I was kind of out of those conversations, things, things got, a, things got a lot better. So, but it, it was, it was a difficult, um, the whole thing was difficult just because of the circumstances. Number one, you want, you, yeah. you want to, you, you want to be as you know, empathetic as possible. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I didn't have the authority to give away, you know, we, we, we do have processes and procedures that are in place to try to, you know, keep things on a, uh, you, you don't want, you don't want one donor to get something that another donor get didn't, didn't get because that could come back to really be a problem down the road. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jed, this has been a great episode. I have got to get going here in just a minute. Any, and I, we might have to get you back on the podcast a second time, but any, any final thoughts you'd like to share with everybody? Um, you, you know, I, I, as a final thought, I would just remind people that, um, what a great industry we're in. Um, but I would also remind people too, that, um, as, as I look at the industry, um, there's some opportunities to really grow and change. Um, I kind of say sometimes, you know, to get into the 21st century and in a lot of ways, when I look back at development, and again, I've been there, I haven't even been there 10 years yet. But I, yeah. I can look back, and uh, I just think we need to 
be forward thinking, in particular, uh, and be open to new ideas and and and, uh, and different ways of doing it. Uh, explore those things because yeah. our donors live in that Netflix world. Okay, mm. our donors live. They're used to just click Amazon, Netflix, you know, what a uh, Target, twenty first century, yeah. and yeah. sometimes. Even though we, I'll just speak for universities. We have a university in the 21st century. We got great schools and great, you know, smart people all around us. But the development world has been slow to change. Um, and that, I know that's a broad stroke, and there'll be plenty of people I'm sure they'll come back to you and say, "What's that guy talking about?" Where, but but, <laughs> but there are people out there. There's people in the industry that are on the forefront of, of, of leading change. And I think as leaders uh, in, in the industry, we, we need to be uh, looking and listening to new ideas. Yeah, for sure. So I, this is, I mean, what I'm thinking of right away is everybody just go check out this episode's sponsor, Market Smart. Like the, the stuff Greg Warner is doing at Market Smart and being able to leverage technology and surveys and artificial intelligence to to reach out to your benefactors and give them a personalized experience to set up a way to have better engagement with real development officers is, is phenomenal. Maybe that's not exactly the type of thing you're saying, but just there's an example of technology that is like removing friction from philanthropy. And uh, I think there's a lot of room for that in a lot of areas. Yeah, I, I, w- I should have said this before, but there, there's this business is still art and science, and the art part's not going to go away. Having mm-hmm. having meaningful conversations, listening to what people are saying, that's not going to go away. And in fact, it, it remains as important, if not more important than ever. But the technology, the science part, has moving so fast and can help yes. us all, and we, that's what we've got to embrace because our donors have already embraced it. Our prospective yep. donors have already em- embraced it, and they want that 21st century connection of how to make that gift, how to how we respond to them, to thank them, how we yeah. steward them. But that one-on-one, the art of knowing how to have that conversation cannot be replaced by technology. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Jed. This was a great conversation, and uh, look forward to talking soon. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate you having me was Jed Dalton with UNC Charlotte. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it's inspired you to schedule more visits. Like I said, it's a crazy time. I don't even remember all the stuff I'm supposed to say at the end of this episode, but uh, if you enjoyed it, go leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Go to my website, onevisitaway.com, if you want to know more about what I do and how I can help you. Um, Also, check out the links in the notes section of the podcast to get in touch with our sponsors, MarketSmart and 86. And uh, I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. Guys, there's no clever out row uh, where I say you're just one visit away from something because it takes me time to think about that and I just want to get this episode published. So this week's uh, call to action is go buy yourself uh, a generator. Go buy multiple generators and uh, hope y'all are staying warm, anybody in Texas. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye.